Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can. There are Bibles that we provide for you in baskets down by your feet, so if there's one kicking around down there, please do grab it. If it's a blue Bible, um, you should be able to find John chapter 20, which is where we'll be looking at the morning of the resurrection. John chapter 20, that would be on page 880 and the Bibles that we have, page 880. So what I'll do is I'll read the story, I'll read the text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll work our way through it. But I'd love for you to track with me, so if you have a Bible, that will help you. Uh, we'll also put verses up on the screen so you can follow along that way. So I'm starting in verse 1 of John chapter 20. It says this, Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. God, right now we want more than anything to hear your voice. Um, who cares about what a dude up front has to say? But we care deeply that you, by your Spirit, would speak to each one of us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would use this time to show us what you're like and to reveal to us the beauty of your Son and the resurrection and all that that means for us. We pray, God, for your blessing on our time right now. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to experience you, the risen and reigning King. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this, we're going to see a few different things. The, the story itself tells us about the resurrection, and we're going to see that the resurrection is observable, it's merciful, it's personal, and it's accessible. It's observable, merciful, personal, and accessible. First off, it's observable. If you look at uh, the disciples, when they find out that the body is gone, Mary Magdalene had gone there first thing in the morning, and she gets to the tomb, and the stone, stone is rolled away, and she looks inside of there, and she sees he's gone. So she runs, she pieces out, goes to the disciples, and says, guys, they've taken the body away. So they take off running. Both of the disciples, Simon Peter and the beloved disciple John, who is narrating the story, they both run to the tomb. 
And when they get there, one of them is peering in and seeing the details of, of what's going on, and then the second one arrives. So look with me at verses 6 and following. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw, and he believed. Now, what's happening here is that they are observing. They are looking at the details, the evidence. They rush to the the tomb, the garden tomb, and they find that the garden tomb is empty. And as, as John is describing it, they keep looking at all the different items. And they're wondering then, what happened here? Could the religious leaders have stolen the body away? Could they have done something here? And and they kind of go through that process in their heads, I'm sure, of is is this even a viable option? Did Did the Jewish believers take the body away? Or was it grave robbers? Did grave robbers come and take the body away? But they're looking at all the details and going, why is it that somebody would come in the middle of the night to a tomb that has a guard posted there, and steal a body away, and, and why on earth would they unwrap the body? Why would they take grave clothes off of this body and take the linen off of its head and, and place it all there and leave it behind? What, why would they leave all of these spices? You know, back then, we have, um, we have funeral homes that'll deal with the deceased for us, but back then, it was the responsibility of loved ones, and so they had a hundred pounds of things that they would place on the body to to mask the odor of decomposition. So they're, they're going there and they're going, what on earth happened here? And they're looking at all the details. And then we find out that they see it and they believed. So they're looking at the evidence and they come away and they go, he is alive. Now that reality is an invitation for us this morning. It, the, the resurrection is something that invites us to investigate. It's observable. And it is such a critical piece of Christianity that if it didn't happen, the whole thing, the whole thing of Christianity is irrelevant. Now, I'm not just saying that of my own opinion. The Apostle Paul said that. One of the early founders of the Christian movement, he wrote the majority of the New Testament in the Bible, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is a matter of first importance that Christ died according to the Scriptures, for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures, and he appeared to up to 500 people. So if you want to know whether or not this happened, there were eyewitnesses, and there were people who are still alive, and you can go and verify it for yourself. But if it didn't happen, if it didn't happen, if there is no resurrection, Paul says Christians are the most pitiable people on the planet. That if there is no resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins, there is no confidence that we too will rise, then if we're living our lives for a crucified guy who never came back from the dead and we are sacrificing and suffering for his namesake, he says, that is pitiable. So the resurrection is that important and we need to then observe and find out for ourselves whether or not this really did take place. And we can look at the evidence. There is sufficient evidence. Um, In fact, there are eyewitnesses. There are four in the New Testament who tell us Uh, With their documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us about these events. There are first century writers. There's actually a lot of evidence surrounding this reality of whether or not Jesus was a real individual, and what did he do, and what did he claim, and did he die, how did he die, and did he come back from the grave? I would encourage you, if you've never pondered this before, if if there's a person out there who claims to be God in the flesh, and he claims to be able to forgive sins, and he claims to be able to restore a right relationship with our maker. And if he died, just like he said he would, and if he came back from the grave, just like he said he would, 
you owe it to yourself to go and to go and observe, to go and find out if that evidence is real and if that really did happen. And and I would encourage you to do that. So there's plenty of evidence and and um, I think you should look into it, and I do think it will change your life. That if you realize that Jesus did come back from the grave, as we celebrate on an Easter morning, it, it will change things. If he is alive right now, it changes things. And I would encourage you to do that good work. We have evidence, but we also have another piece of evidence that we find out in verse 9 about. Look with me. It says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They've read their Bibles before. These guys are, they, they, they know the scriptures, but when they read it, they didn't realize that all of the scriptures were leading to this moment and that Jesus was going to die for the sin of humanity and he was going to come back from the grave. But now when they look back on it, they go, man, we really missed this major category when we were reading our Bibles. We missed the fact that God had planned this from the beginning, that humanity could be restored to its maker and it was all here in the Bible all along, that the whole Bible is really pointing to this event, that is pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ and the claims that he has made, and is pointing to the fact that he voluntarily went to a, a crucifix and died in the place of those who will place their faith in him and trust in him for salvation, and he came back from the dead. And the, Bibles, the Bible reveals that to us. And so you can go and read the Bible and you can find out that this storyline is the, is the major storyline in this document here, in the Bible itself. So, so read the Bible to see that Jesus really did do what he claimed he was going to do. He came back from, from the dead. It's observable. The resurrection is observable and you owe it to yourself to look into these things. The second thing we see is that the, the resurrection is merciful. It's merciful. Um, look with me at verses 11 and 12. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, when a story is happening and somebody keeps tucking in details that aren't relevant to the story, it gets confusing, doesn't it? If somebody keeps telling you, like, oh, they're related to this person, and you're trying to track with it in your mind, I, at least I get confused in this way, so why is it that John gives such vivid details about all these different things? Why does he look into the tomb and go, here's what Mary saw, angels standing there. He doesn't just say, hey, they were in there, and they talked to her. He says, they were seated at, at specific places. They were seated in, in different places that, that, are, that are pretty relevant. One of my good friends um, is a pastor not far from here. He, he um, taught theology for a number of years, and he actually wrote a, a book on John, on, on what we're looking at here, on this book of the Bible. And he talks about how sometimes the Bible will give you details in order to give impressions. Not to play f fast and loose with the Bible. I, I, I would never want to be up here trying to suggest something that the Bible doesn't mean to suggest. But there are details that God will tuck into his word, and for us it's meant to kind of make us think, I've seen that before. I, I've, I've seen details like this before. And do you know where the other instance of angels being situated at one end of an item and another end of an item is? It's in the Old Testament. What, what happened was God told a dude named Moses, and he said, hey, I want you to build a place. Humanity's greatest problem is that they have turned away from God, and you are going to build a, a temple where my name will be and where my glory will show up, and there's going to be a lot of activity in here to help people reconnect with God. And so he tells them, build it like this, exactly according to the plan. And he says, and there's a special area inside of there. Curtain it off. 
It's the Holy of Holies. My presence will be in there. And inside of there, have the craftspeople build an ark. Build it with this kind of wood, make it like this. And he says, and have them carve angels and place them at both ends of the Ark of the Covenant. And this is the place where once a year, a high priest will go in and pray and make sacrifices, will take blood in there and acknowledge humanity has turned away from you and you've instructed us that if we want to get right with you, I bring this before this mercy seat. I bring this on behalf of the people we know we're supposed to relate to you and this is the way that you've prescribed. So what is John doing when he says, she looked in and she saw angels seated at both sides at the mercy seat? He's pointing to that greater reality. Jesus, by dying, was actually the sacrifice that we needed. That all the stuff in the Old Testament was really just pointing to this moment, to this event, that Jesus was going to go as the sacrifice and lay down his life, and it is there. It is him. It's where we get to experience the presence of God. And it is by his willingness to die in our place that we can be restored to a right relationship with God. So here's what you need to hear from me. God is making that invitation to you. Every single person I've ever met, the biggest problem that we have is not just trying to figure out what we should do with our lives. The biggest problem that we have is that we were made by God, and most of us don't even acknowledge that. We were made to be in relationship with God, but we treat other things with more authority and and more importance in our lives than Him. And He is trying to draw us back to Himself, and the way that He does that is through His Son, This is a merciful resurrection because we see that Jesus went to the cross and died in our place, and he invites us then to believe in him and to experience the mercy and the grace of God. And if you'll do that, we call that salvation. If you trust in Christ, if you place your faith in him, if you surrender to the work that he was willing to do for you, you will experience salvation. So the the resurrection is merciful. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. When he reflects on this reality, he writes to a Jewish audience trying to explain all of these details. So, So track with me. We'll put it up on the screen here. It says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place, every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. What does that mean? If you want to be right with God today, you trust in him. The sacrifice that he made as he went into that garden tomb, uh, it's sufficient for you. You believe in that thing and you will be saved. So please, please trust in him. The resurrection is merciful. It is also personal. Look at what happens. Mary Magdalene is at the tomb, and she is bending over and crying, and the angels speak to her, and they say, Woman, why are you crying? And she says, Because they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. And right behind her, then, is Jesus himself. In verse 15, he asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. There's this very tender, personal interaction between this woman and her Savior, Jesus Christ. She is, if you find out about her in other places in the Bible, she was somebody who was possessed by demons. Her life was an absolute disaster. 
And then she meets Jesus, and everything changes. She gets freedom from that, and she gets her, her, her mind back again and her life back again, and she then begins to follow him and his disciples wherever. She's, she's, she's so blown away by all that has happened by her meeting of Christ. And then she watches as this individual, Jesus, gets tried for being the king of the Jews and then gets executed. She was standing at the foot of the cross as Jesus was giving up his Holy Ghost. And so she sees all of this happen, and we find her now trying to care for the body of the deceased, and when she gets there, he's gone. And then he, he interacts with her, this very tender, very personal interaction. Why are you crying? And, and she says, They've taken, have, you, have you taken him? I don't know where this body is, but I, I just need it. And he says to her, her name, that personal name. He, he knows her. And by hearing that, all of a sudden, everything changes again. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you. You are here not by accident today. You are here because God is a personal God, and he knows you. And you have brokenness. Yeah, and I know it's probably not anywhere similar to Mary, but you walk into a situation like this, and we're broken people. And we, we, we feel devastation for a variety of reasons. We're emotional. We go, why is it like this? Why, why does my life feel like this? Why does it hurt so bad? Why have all these things happened? I can't understand what is going on right now. And God is here. And what he wants to do is to not give you some superficial answer to your problems. He's here. And what he wants to do is speak your name. He's here. And he sees you. And he knows you. And he knows the depths of your pain and problems. And he just wants to say, Mary. He wants you to hear your name on his lips. He cares that deeply and that personally about you. And I believe that he's here this morning to minister to you in that way, and you just need to know he's present with you. And that just makes everything else fade into the background, but he's, he's personal. And he personally knows you and cares for you. The resurrection points to that tenderness of Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth and final point that we see here. The resurrection is accessible. It's accessible. She gets her best friend back, the most significant person in her life. She, she sees him now, and I'm sure she just wants to hold on to him for the rest of her days and never, ever, ever let him go. Like, she lost him, and now he's back. And I can imagine her just saying, I am not leaving you. I'm not even letting go of you. I've got you. Yesterday, we were up at uh, the Beloit campus. Ash was working, so it was me and my five-year-old and my three-year-old, and the Beloit campus did this uh, helicopter egg drop. And so there were 1,200 kids and all of their families, and we're sitting on the edge, and they say, okay, parents can't go out on the field, but the helicopter will fly by, drop eggs on the field, and then when it's go time, the kids will run out there, and uh, they'll collect their, their 10 eggs. And so I'm sitting there with my kids, and Harrison's freaking out because it's so loud, and, and they drop a bunch of eggs, and then they say, okay, it's go time. And Reese runs off with some cousins, and she goes in there, and I, I, you know, she turns around and waves and does her cute little thing. Harrison just takes off. And I, all of a sudden, I realize, oh, no. Like, this is what he does. He, ne he never looks back. He never, ever looks back. We could be, in the, we, we could be here at church, and you, you will see him later today. You will see him running around this place. He doesn't even care if anyone is paying attention. He just goes. And I see Harrison run into this crowd of hundreds and hundreds of kids, and I think to myself, he's gone. Like, I'm never going to see this dude again. And so I'm trying to play it cool. I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, okay, I hope he remembers which direction he came from. 
And hopefully after he gets all the stuff he's trying to get, he comes back. And so Reese comes back and she goes, I don't know where Harrison is. I'm like, great. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself, how is this going to play out? And finally I see him off in the distance and he, we catch eyes and I wave and he does his, his big goofy grin and he comes back over and he's, you know, they're supposed to have 10 eggs and I look in his bucket, he's got like 25. I'm like, okay, <laughs> throw some back. But he comes back and I just grab him. I'm like, dude, I will never let you go again and you will never do an egg drop again. <laughs> There's that moment where when, when she gets him back, you can imagine that she just wants to hang on to him. But what does he say? Look with me at verses 17 and following. It says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father, to, you, to, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, I don't think he's being rude here. I don't think he's being dismissive of her. Don't touch me. Don't hang on to me. In fact, in a couple paragraphs later, he will invite people, touch me. You don't believe this? Touch where they pierced my hands. He will invite people to that intimate and personal touch. But here, what is he doing? He's not just saying, hey, girl, get, get away from me. Here's what he's doing. He's pointing to this great reality. I've not yet ascended yet. But when that happens, I won't just be accessible for you. You won't just, you won't just have me back. The world will have me. I will be accessible to anyone who calls on my name. When he ascends to the right hand of the Father, do you know what he said earlier in the book of John? He said, it is better that I go because I will send the Holy Spirit of God. It is better for me to go. It's better for you that I would go, that I would ascend because then I will send my Spirit and I will no longer be confined to one geographical location. Jesus is alive right now. He has resurrected he is alive right now, and we don't have to take a trip to go find him. We don't have to get on a plane and a bus and a taxi and all of that and get to the location where he would be and try to find him and interact with him. By his ascension, he is accessible to all of us. And listen, friends, he's alive right now. I'm going to tell you where he is, and it might spook you a little bit. Jesus right now, physically, his body, his resurrected body is at the right hand of the throne of God. But do you know where else he is right now? He's right here. By his spirit, in his people, this, Jesus is present here. He's our guest of honor. He's accessible. And what that means for us is very, very significant. It means that we're not just chilling during a church service. Jesus is here, and he's making this awesome invitation to each one of us. Will you trust me? Will you believe in me? Will you place your faith in what I did for you at the cross, through my death, and now with this resurrection? Will you do that? Will you trust him? The church, we have this obligation. It's an awesome one. This is why we exist, to tell people that news. What does Jesus say to her? Go and tell my brothers this news. And she goes away, and she says this. This is on her lips. I have seen the Lord. He's not dead. He is alive. He is risen. So we as a church, me as a pastor, and our, our, our church family, we are here this morning to say, we've seen the Lord. He's alive right now, and he is inviting you into a relationship with himself by faith in what he's done. He's here. So would you place your faith in him for that salvation? Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would make us very aware of your reality.
It'd be one thing if we could have you deliver the sermon this morning, we could look on you, and we could see your physical presence here. That would be amazing. But God, you have given us your spirit, and you said it would even be better. And so in this moment, God, would you very personally speak the name of each person in here, just like you did for Mary? Would you just speak over them that you see them, and you care for them, and you understand what they're going through? And would you show them, God, by your spirit that you are alive? And would you help us then, God, to trust in you and to shape our lives around you, the risen and reigning king? You are risen, and we praise you for that. Amen.